samba está animado. O Juqueiro é samba. I make this mistake. Este samba que me estou de maracatu. Almost every single show. E samba de preto veio. Samba de preto do. I pick a song that I'm like, that'll be a cool groovy intro. And then I'm like, I don't want to hear anything I have to say, or our guest, or you for that matter, Sean. I'd rather hear this song. That's a song you lost your virginity to, that song. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not quite that old, bro. All right. This is Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. I wish I, I wish I would have been this cool in high school. No, I was That's listening. like a swinging party. You get a swinging party going if you have that going in the 60s. Dude, I, I was... Oh, man, you got more than a swinging party. You're yeah. cool, and you got a cool shirt on, and maybe even like a... Oh, a cool silk scarf? Mm. A Mai Tai? As opposed to a Coors Light? You're just kind of shaking the Mai Tai a little bit. Mm. In and you give that look where you're not coming on too strong. Yeah. But you give them kind of a... And Hello. then you pretend like you're not interested. Oh, and the magic starts to unfold. Just kidding. That sounds like something I saw in a movie. I've never done anything even vaguely that cool. <laughs> I love Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66 as much as the next person, but we got to get things going here. It's the Brian Oak Show podcast, episode 324. We've done 324. These, well, we're about to do the 324th, but we've done 323 so far, and they're out there and available, and we've had a wide array of guests. In fact, today's guest has joined us before, but not since the era of the Black Plague, where we all had to wear masks and sit behind plastic shields. It was a very different time then, and we've entered into a new era of freedom. Mush Canada. Anyway, not really. Um, my name is Brian Oak, and that's Sean Bernard. How are you today, Sean? I'm doing fine. I'm just so glad that Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, and Bob Dylan were not in that submarine. <laughs> were they supposed to be? Well, there was talk of it, and it would have been a folk implosion. Ouch. <laughs> Somewhere between a dad joke <laughs> and too soon. I know that was my <laughs> that was, that's my original joke about the. Uh, did you make so, that joke? I did. Up. I did make that joke up. It's too soon. I realized that, but I was like, "Hey, here's a zinger for you." Look, if you looked oh. at that submarine before they went down, yeah. if I were a millionaire, you did things in your life that you're smart enough that you've made millions of dollars. In one case, the guy made billions. Yes, I don't know if any of them were born into it, but generally, you can't hang on to that kind of money unless you're relatively intelligent. I would look around in there, and when they talked, I mean, when you watch any of the video about it, it's like, we bought this at a Home Depot. We bought this at oh, I know. Craft yeah. Factory. <laughs> oh, press this button. You'll go right back to the service. You still will need someone to undo the outside to get you out of it. Absolutely not. I understand the appeal of the Titanic. I understand the appeal of exploration and adventure. There might not be anything more important in terms of the human spirit and human endeavor, but damn dumb and i don't wish ill on anyone no. I'm, I'm sorry that those people were once explosive decompression happened that they were instantly turned to dust and we don't know that for a fact but that's where i i know in my heart that's precisely what happened and um, yeah you don't feel a thing if you're i mean that amount oh, no, of it's pressure over instantly yeah, yeah, you're done but there was a lot of suffocation and wondering and looking across yeah, the people from you while it was starting to unfold and then it's over you know, and then, of course, I have friends who are like, maybe Cthulhu got him. I'm like, okay, you know what? We're not actually playing role-playing games no, today. That's no. actually real life. And um, so I'm sorry for what happened to yeah, those people for sure. or what we assume happened. Here's the problem. Even if they hit the button and they buoyed to the surface, unless someone's there to let you out, 
you're still going to suffocate. Yeah, exactly. It's over. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a fun start to this particular podcast. You know it. <laughs> My name's Brian. His name is Sean. We are in the Smart Start MN Studios in a very lovely area of town. It is known as uh, the Smart Start MN Studios here at 48th and Chicago in South Minneapolis. It's hot again for like the third day in a row. I can't really breathe. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You sound, no, you sound good. Everything's fine. Shut up. It's too, just way too hot and humid for this time of the year. And air quality is still not good, even though it's supposedly not the Canadian wildfires now and just the fact that we've polluted the planet so poorly that, uh, or so badly or so, I guess, terrifically, if you're into polluting the planet, that uh, it's hard to breathe out there. Also, I could put some of the blame on myself for being a cigarette smoker. Anyway, I want to thank Smart Start MN, Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. When you drink and drive... A, you're an idiot. B, you get popped, you are going to lose your license. A Smart Start MN can get you back into your vehicle quicker and for way less money than you might assume it would cost, especially considered how much the rest of the whole thing is going to cost. Absolutely. Go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock thing. <laughs> I like your use of the technical terms. I was well, worried. You know. I, I hate going over people's heads, but you have a way of really bringing it back to the every every person. <clears throat> Moxie Wealth Management, speaking of every person, Moxie Wealth Management, also the most recent sponsor of uh, the Brian Oak Show podcast. And what do they do there? Well, it's right there in the name. They manage your wealth. And you're like, well, I don't have wealth. Yeah, you don't have to have actual like, wealth wealth in order to benefit from the services of a company like Moxie Wealth Management. Yeah, the most important thing to do is to set a meeting and figure out where you stand with all of your stuff, including maybe your home, including maybe Social Security, just to be able to see if and when you're going to be able to retire someday, go to moxiewealthmanagement.com and set an appointment. That's hilarious when you say words like retirement. It makes me laugh because <laughs> never going to happen. Uh, so, A, it's been very hot for a few days, and it's going to stay hot now, and we might get some storms this weekend. The other thing happening this weekend, we got two things. One is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift tonight and tomorrow night. The madness downtown is, I, I don't think, I think madness is damning it with faint praise. Yes. But then you add in all of the celebrations for Pride that are going on this weekend. And they're expecting more than a half million new faces moving through downtown over the next three days. Now, I like occasional chaos. I openly support Pride. I love Taylor Swift. There is a 0% chance I will be within miles of downtown yeah. over the next three days. Yeah, no chance. Utter chaos. And so for those of you who are, I hope you have the time of your lives. Just plan ahead and understand you're going to walk for two miles from wherever you park to get to whatever the thing is you think that you're going to do. It is going to be nutso downtown this weekend. But the first song we're going to play before we talk to our guest, Marcy Hill, is um, by one of the... So I didn't know this artist when, when they first came out, right? And when they first happened. Uh, but since then, I've watched three different documentaries about the San Francisco-based artist Sylvester. Sylvester was in the halcyon days of gay culture in San Francisco back in the 70s, one of the absolute luminaries, one of the leading mm -hmm. lights of that era and that scene. And then AIDS hit, and nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew what to do. 
And Sylvester then became one of the leading advocates for safe sex, for research, for fundraising, for everyone slowing their role because we've got to figure out what's going on because there is a disease that is disproportionately affecting a particular community. Nobody knew what it was. Was it a government flu? Was it some sort of bizarre new thing? Nobody knew. But Sylvester, in addition to being one of the great dance divas of all time, was also one of the great advocates and one of the leading luminaries of not only the scene, but in the recovery and the understanding and growth of AIDS and trying to do the right thing. A little Sylvester on The Brian Oak Show.
It is Pride this weekend, and I feel like Sylvester, although there have obviously been many, many, many great icons since then and great musical anthems, and it's going to be festive and incredible, provided the weather cooperates throughout the course of the weekend for Pride here in Minneapolis. I guess I would just like to take the opportunity, as we said once last week, and I will not belabor the point, if you're a homophobe, if you have a hard time with who people love, how they love, what they do, as long as no one is hurting anyone else, why do you fucking care? All right? Just knock it off. Be a decent human being. Love equals love. And if two people are both into it and everyone's cool and no one's getting hurt, shut the fuck up and mind your own business. Hi, it's the Brian Oak Show. I'm Brian Oak, and that is Sean Bernard. I want to say hi to Marcy Hill. Hi, Marcy. How are you? Hey, good to see you guys again. Good to, good to see, see you. you, too. You and I first met many, many moons ago. Unfortunately, you've aged better than I have. <laughs> you don't look altogether that different than when I first met you. Oh, I can't even say it. I don't want to. You, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm worried that it's somehow related to your work. I'm worried that you are somehow getting injections or there's some sort of biological treatments you're getting that keep you young and youthful and refreshing. But I had you in because you and I have had occasional conversations over the years about AI, artificial intelligence. And I know that that's not just one thing. I know that artificial intelligence manifests in almost untold ways. And I guess that's part of my fear about it. So before we get to my fear of robotics, before we get into how you work with AI and what you think the future of AI looks like, you're also an extremely talented actual artist, right? Like a physical artist. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, we have one of your pieces hanging right here in the Smart Start MN Studios. Recently, and the reason I want to start here is because when we talk about... AI and how it is going to influence what we see, what we consume. You know, I'm not I'm not even talking about weaponized robot dogs right now that we've made intelligent, <laughs> right? I'm talking about how it's going to influence the artist, both the the sort of physical work that you like you do right there, right? The visual work, but also, I mean, the work that I do, I work for a company that if they get enough samples, AI can simulate Brian Oak and Brian Oak is over. It's mm-hmm. done. There's no need for him. But also, there's a similar, I think within the visual artist community, there's a similar thought that when are we going to know the difference? Or even if you want to talk about the way everything's expressed on the internet right now, like dancers, at some point, AI is going to be so smart and so good that you don't need a dancer anymore. And when we watch, you know, people like, oh, I typed this into, what's this one, chat G something? Chat GPT. Chat, okay. You type something into that, and it creates these brilliant visual works that are clearly computer-generated. You, as a visual artist, in addition to everything else you do, because you're kind of on both sides of the fence on this one. (laughs) I mean, do you feel threatened? Do you feel like it's a weird thing? What are the things that we should be looking out for when it comes to the future of visual art? So as concerns mid journey, which I think is the, I think is the uh, application you're referring to. I I am not personally threatened by mid journey uh, in terms of the output that I create in terms of my own work. Uh-huh. The physical will always be physical. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's not something that you can dream away from. That's not something that you can innovate away from. Uh-huh. Something that's real and has three dimensions always will. That print over there has three dimensions and it's an artifice on something that I created that's physical and framed in my house. Okay, so that's yeah. true, but I, ha- I, mean, I hate to jump in. I do not oh, want yeah, to interrupt no. you, but you say that, but the way most people consume media in this day and age is through this thing in front of me right here, a laptop or your phone or this desktop computer right here or through headphones. 
are you not worried that at some point it will be indiscernible between what you have spent hours and lifeblood creating and what somebody's like, oh, I typed in 18 words into this computer and <laughs> look what I created. Are you not worried about that? The thing that I'm worried about is my work being sampled for somebody else's prompt for that for the output of Midjourney oh, via their prompt. Okay. Um, so and, then, and, yeah, go ahead. Slow, I'm so sorry. Slow down because I don't know what Midjourney is. Oh, so Midjourney is the visual version of ChatGPT. Ah, that's kind of the simplest gotcha. way to. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's the simplest way to explain it. So, um, this is this is the the amazing AI art that we've been seeing online. It's it's all it's through Midjourney, and I think that there's I think there's another one. Um, Lenza does the fancy um, avatars, you know, the, the images of you and that sort of thing. And that samples, it scrapes the entire web for many different artists, for all of the artists that are out there and published on the web. Right. For all I know, they could have sampled me by now. Fortunately, I'm not prolific enough that anybody would give a crap about what I do. But, it, but I don't think that's the important part. They're <laughs> going to come for your stuff. You know, they, I mean, I, and again, I don't, I don't mean to sound conspiratorial. I don't want it to be diabolical, but I don't think anybody, if your stuff is online, whether you're prolific or not, mm -hmm. your stuff is out there and somebody could grab it and mess with it, couldn't they? They could for a while. So, and I'd have to speak to, I'd have to speak to an attorney about this one or some, you know, an attorney would do a lot better job explaining this than I, but if there's one thing that I've noticed about the law is that it's responsive rather than proactive, right? So we have, um, we have cyber stalking laws and we have uh, revenge porn laws and so on. Those didn't exist forever, right? Right, right. But eventually the law caught up to the internet reality, to the digital reality. I think the same thing is going to happen here too. Eventually people are going to start suing. Eventually people are going to start uh, artists, various artists and, and intellectual property is going to become, I think a bigger deal in the age of chat GPT mm -hmm. um, as well as mid journey. So it's not there to protect me today. Um, but one thing it will never be able to do is take my originals. So that's not. impossible. So that leads me to the next point. Please. Uh, sorry, sorry to roll over you like that. Go ahead. Um, the, the physical then, in my view, will take on a different cachet, a different sort of value. So that costs me, I don't even know how much to print. The original I wouldn't sell for anything less than what it earned on the um, charity that I gave it to, right? Right. Okay, so that automatically has its own sense of value. So if we're looking at something that's physical and we're scraping the internet to grab from it to make something that anybody could type 18 words in to, to create, the original is going to be the one that has the value, right? So we're going to go to the museums for it. We're going to purchase it. It's still going to be high value um, in terms of us having fun with it and making new stuff with it. That's where it kind of gets interesting to me in terms of what we can conceptualize, what we can imagine. It's cool. It's just cool, right? And that's what I think of it. I, I don't call it art. It's a cool writing exercise. Show right. me how you can bang this out, right, so that you can make something cool. But is it art? Well, and I feel the same way about the visual stuff because some of it is spectacular. It makes me wish that I still did drugs because, it, <laughs> I mean, in all sincerity, a lot of it is very psychedelic and very crazy. Yes. And as the transitions go and it starts to evolve and you're like, that's very cool to look at, but it... Other than the algorithm and the coding that went into it, other than the original, the very original piece, there's very little humanity behind it. And I guess yes. this is my concern okay. is I think you're right that there will be laws put in place and there will eventually be some sort of legal structure to protect the original creator. Mm -hmm. But do you think outside of the creator and the stealer 
that anyone's going to care. I mean, there's the possibility, the way we consume media now, there's the possibility that people will be like, I don't give a fuck who did this. I want to watch this <laughs> thing. This is cool. Totally fair. So what does consuming art mean, right? And what is art for that matter? So I'd like to back into that because the definition of art is something that I've been thinking about a lot, as you might imagine, right? As somebody who lives on both sides of this or works on both sides of this. Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Art is, if you, okay, so let's start with the assumption that art is made by an organic being, right? A person, um, a, a dog, push some rocks together, like that's their creation, right? Wow. Um, a, a, You're a, talking like penguins putting together little like pebble nests for their eggs and oh, stuff. Oh, absolutely. We're endlessly creative. Yeah. And uh, humans, you know, far and away the most creative that I've, that, that, that we that we can see that, that is out there. And we also have thumbs. Right. Which helps an <laughs> awful lot. Um, so, you, you know, in, in, in my view, we're so, we're so creative that in the absence of uh, so, it's a problem to solve, right? Because that's where creati- creativity really kicks in. We create a new problem so that we can get creative. I mean, it's just like, it just never ends. That's what we are. That's who we are. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I define humanity personally. Right. Um, but in terms of, in terms of what, constitutes art and i think that's what's becoming really interesting right now is how are we defining what art actually is right so my personal definition is is made by an organic being it's made by a person right if we're sticking with humanity as a species that we're curious about right let's start there that seems like that seems like a very healthy baseline so if you accept that assertion right then if okay so if you accept that assertion ai cannot be the artist AI can only be a medium, right? And if you accept that, sorry, if you accept that assertion, AI itself is art. It is an artifice. It's been created by us, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> by extraction, AI art cannot be art because an, an artist, a being, did not create it. The creation created more. See, we get into a super deep gray yeah, area right here. <laughs> like I remember That's what's cool about it. <laughs> Pink Floyd in the early seventies when they started to really I mean, they weren't the first synthesizer band by a long shot, but they were sort of the ones that bought brought it to the forefront, you know? Mm-hmm. And they were constantly criticized at the time that all you're doing is pressing buttons and twiddling knobs, you're not really making music. This isn't a human creation. And Roger Waters rather famously said one time, Well, that's like saying if you just give someone a Les Paul they're going to be Eric Clapton. That's not true. <laughs> you you can't do that. Yes. If I so what? I, oh man, I agree. Oh, it makes my head hurt. Also, robot dogs with rocket launchers yeah, on their back. Now I know there problem. are positives about AI, <laughs> and we are going to talk about those first. But I hate to go too long without a little music, and we've gone way too long. Tell me why you chose this song by Donald Fagan. IGY International Geophysical Year. This was his broad imagining his grand imagining at age 13 of what the future would look like and there's this beautiful line in it that stood out to me as soon as i started working in conversational ai (laughs) and we'll get to it but it has exactly to do with software and ai listen for it it's in there
Now, knowing what I know about Donald Fagan, as prescient as the song may be, <laughs> is he being sarcastic and facetious, or is he being sincere about what a wonderful world it'll be? You'd have to ask him. Okay, uh, my, all right. What's my, your interpretation on it, though? Because that's how songs work, right? I mean, songs yeah. mean different things for everyone. Exactly. You know, I I like to imagine that he was being a in a very imaginative child and was being a tech optimist and a sci-fi writer where this was this utopian world, sorry, this utopian world where things were cool because mm-hmm. of more machines. <laughs> um, and of course, you heard the line, just machines to make big decisions programmed by fellows with compassion and vision. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite sci-fi meets rock star guy is David Bowie. And yes. Yes. he has a song called The Savior Machine, which is much more dystopian than utopian. (laughs) And so I guess I just, I don't know why I don't like the idea. Let's talk about something a little more practical, a little more day-to-day, because I don't think robots are about to become our overlords tomorrow, right? No, no, not yet. (laughs) Damn it, Marcy. (laughs) Marcy Hill is our guest. Um, You used a term that I don't know what it means, and I feel like we could all benefit from it, because as we talked about at the outset, AI takes so many different forms and has so many different practical applications in our lives. You used a term called conversational AI. I don't even know what that means. What is conversational AI? Well, conversational AI is a a range of technical products. Um, I tend to work on more deterministic models. So what I mean by that is I actually construct architectures um, that uh, really write a conversation between a human being and a robot. Uh, and to what end, yeah. if you don't mind my asking? Well, it depends. They're they're largely commercial. Um, there are a few that are really intended to help people, uh, like Wobot is a really good example. Um, and actually, that's very on the nose because uh, conversational AI actually came out of psychology uh, originally back in 1966 with the bot Eliza. And Eliza's point was to not necessarily um, give therapy to people like Wobot can kind of do, hmm. um, but to uh, function as a, as a a research project. And the bot uh, acted, behaved as a Rogerian therapist. So that's the first ever conversational AI. So tell me just, more. I, well, no, 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 no. Well, but also like then now I think of the movie THX eleven thirty eight where if you're oh. having a problem, please talk to someone. Tell me what else you need. Well, you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. The, the robot is sort of a a blank face, and even if you are getting some sort of sense of value out of it, it doesn't know you. It doesn't understand you, but yet somehow can help you. So, I, again, I talk to me like I'm a four year old. All right, because <laughs> I really need help on this with conversational AI. You know, like I know when I call up to pay my bill that I'm talking to a bot. It's like, mm-hmm. let me check on that, and you hear. <laughs> in the background and there's nothing happening there all right there's nothing happening nope. is that conversational ai or what give me give me the most possible practical application of conversational ai that i might experience in my day-to-day life well if you call um you're going to either get an ivr which they're very clumsy and slow and uh, you know not not very not very functional but they they do work and they're cheap um then there's the 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 voice-based chatbot which you can call in to get too so right. Um, that will walk you through scenarios, and, and, and they tend to be more flexible. They're more more highly trained uh, natural language understanding. Um, and so I, I don't know if you guys know what NLU is, but... Um, no. <laughs> no. Please, please elucidate. <laughs> 
That's a machine that listens to what's being said to it mm-hmm. and uh, can figure out what to say in response because it's been trained. And the understanding, that's the, tra- that's the understanding part. It's is been that, trained is on that data. different than in three words or less? What are you calling about? No, that's not different. <laughs> okay, that's the same thing. Yes. Um, with IVRs, they tend to be, <clears throat> they tend to have narrower data sets. And so when I say data sets, what we talk about, what we say when we, or sorry, what we mean when we talk about that is um, utterances. So someone may actually say an utterance and an utterance is, I want to pay my bill. I got to pay my bill. What's my bill right now? I got to pay. I need to make a payment. Like, so those are all utterances, right? They're synonymous, roughly synonymous. Okay. And so the more of those you have trained into a given what's called intent, um, the better the bot is going to be able to respond because it knows it has more in its brain. Will you feel guilty when we've all been <laughs> subjugated by our robot overlords? Um, maybe, I guess that depends. Uh, <laughs> I guess it depends uh, on, on what on kind of role. position they give you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> What's my salary? All right. That, and, and is there a good benefits package? I don't mind subjugating humanity. I just want to know what <laughs> me and my family are going to be taken care of. Speaking of, you brought your son in here with you today. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, before we do, I want to talk to my friend, Sean Bernard, because he's also a sponsor of this show, as well as being a trusted ally. And he is busy, busy, busy busy in the realty game right now i am it's uh it's totally swamped right now which is good uh i think we had the longest winter in a very long time and uh people have decided that it's time to buy or sell yeah and so it's a little bit of a zoo right now i'm kind of driving all over the place it's people have decided they want to do everything and anything and all the time all the concerts that are coming through everything else that people are doing and they're like we should sell our house yeah we should do yeah let's go to the moon whatever i don't know what else you want to do but like you're you're busy right now yeah i had clients and friends that asked uh asked us to go with them to see a laurel canyon tribute type of show down at the dakota last night so we did and it was nice but I had to. Wor- I was working the entire time we were at the show. So just that was sitting there on your phone like a cool guy. Trying to read a purchase agreement on my cell phone didn't Ouch. work very well. And Ouch. Trying to do all that stuff. But I'm thankful for it. I mean, it's uh, it was a little bit slower winter for a lot of us, and I'm just glad that uh, things are picking up. I'm still donating a portion of a... Uh, donating a portion of every buy and sell to a local musician or band. So if you know somebody looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594. What if somebody said, I don't want to donate my portion of that to a local artist or a musician, rather. I would like to donate it to a local knife thrower or a <laughs> local plate, plate spinner. Totally I, fine. As long cool? as they are creative and that's the reason. All right. But I will not donate to mathematicians. That seems fair. <laughs> I want to come back and talk more AI. I feel like this could be a 12-part series because I have so many questions breaking my brain, but we can't go too long without hearing music first. And I got to be honest, Marcy, I'm so glad you're as smart as you are because I, I, you are making me feel dumb, but I kind of like that. It makes me work harder than I want to. And we, but I, and that's a good thing, though. I think we all should have to think harder and work harder than we want to. It's the only way to achieve. It's the only way to get better, to learn learn more and we're going to do more of that just ahead but first i'm very much looking forward to this song uh speaking of, did you you didn't tell your folk joke on the oh, podcast did oh, you yeah. i think i did did you really yeah unbelievable <laughs> wow you are a bad person wow <laughs> tell me tell me why you chose this artist and this song right here because i'm a fan of both of them i'm glad you brought up my son uh he's the reason that i included this uh as you know this uh song is 
very much of the of the folk uh, oeuvre. It's very um, extremely analog in every way that it possibly can be. Mm-hmm. Super organic, very, very deeply felt, and of course, beautifully, beautifully played. Um, my son, August, he's sitting right here. Wait, 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 wait. There you go. <laughs> Hi. Hi, August. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you very much. So August has recently uh, been working on this song. He's taken a break to work on an Elliott Smith song just lately. Sweet. Um, yep. Love Elliott but- Smith. Whoa, whoa. Before we go any further, <laughs> what, what Elliott Smith song are you working on? Um, so uh, I've, learned, I've learned a bunch of Elliott Smith songs. Yeah. Well, I'm learn- working on my third. I started with Needle in the Hay. Oh, great oh, song. Wow. Well, that's a toe tapper right that's, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Southern Bell. Yeah. my ear and i was like i really really want to learn this and it sounded really hard and then i just looked it up on youtube because that's what you do yeah um and then now i'm working on the big or sorry ballad of big nothing which is wow my favorite at this you're point. picking great ones man yeah no i i mean well and again with elliot smith it's hard to lose um yeah. also though i mean it's a heavy weight to carry you can't hold it inside for very long right you got to play it you got to find the emotional core of it but man, you you have picked some heavy stuff, and now you've gone on to Nick Drake. So I, I guess I guess what we've learned about August is that August is emo as. Uh, <laughs> yes, all right, let's let's just say that. Why did you pick this song right here? Well, this guy represents the future to me. Not not just my own personal hope on two legs, right? But uh, you know, he's part of a, a really. <laughs> he just looked at me in one of the best <laughs> looks that you can get from a teenager, like. Are you kidding me? Is she fucking she serious? She just said that what, what, wow. did, you, did you just say that out loud, Mom? Yeah, yeah sorry, Hope what? On Mom, two feet. Yeah. Mom, we're in a podcast. Yeah. Mom! Unbelievable. Look, if I cannot get a look out of him, it is it is not Friday. It that, is not. But, but that's also the job of every parent. Exactly. Any, if you cannot continue to embarrass your teenager, you fail deeply if somewhere along the path. If I can't cringe, what good am I? Yeah, there we go. Well, well, welcome to Cringeville, everybody. Here's Nick Drake with Road.
point? I did point, but oh, you were looking I'm, at me. No, I, that's because I Let's was looking at some in. notes that Marcy... we got to keep this part in. Fine, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. You, what, do you think I'm a professional? It's the Brian Oak Show, episode 324, which is hard to imagine. Uh, and here we are in the Smart Start MN Studios talking to Marcy Hill, and her son is along for the ride. August is here um, talking about AI, and I... I, I honestly feel like this could be a 12-parter because I have so many questions. And one, I'd like to talk about evil weaponized robot dogs or, you know, robots that people insist on making look human and are terrifying and will one day crush children <laughs> in their cribs. But I know that's not the kind of AI that you work but on. But I'm morbid with my jokes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, I, seriously, I, look, I don't think it's unreasonable to have concerns about activating and unleashing artificial intelligence right at some point we start playing god no we're not we're not just trying to create a better chat bot we're not just trying to at some point we are going to am i the only person who has seen the matrix am i the only one all right so that's where i come from but i'm trying to be cool about it because i know we're not there yet and i know that there are impossibly valuable applications now you earlier talked about august and his ability in sports and you said that ai has actual practical applications in the world of sports please tell me how um well certainly with baseball i mean there there's so much happening with with baseball, with golf, with everything else, where they're hooking people up to, oh, yeah, oh, sensors you're about and, like uh, like the robot umps and stuff like that. There's certainly robot umps. Yeah. There's certainly people that are hooking up stuff to themselves to check their golf swing. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening in sports now. What so are playing all that stuff? Sure. Uh, so I don't know like too much about like like when this was all implemented, but I know for a like pretty long time the MLB has been. Um, messing around in like their minor leagues and their like uh, the just yeah pretty much just the minor leagues with like robot umpiring and pitch com and um, robot umpiring is you know self explanatory it does exactly what it says it does um, and it's been pretty ineffective because they just all kind of suck like they, <laughs> the the way they do it is well the way the strike is supposed to work is balls and strikes are um, called depending on where the ball crosses the player's body not where it lands in the catcher's mitt right yeah mm-hmm. so if you have a curveball that starts at your head and lands right down the middle in the mid it's a ball right right but the robot umps can't distinguish that they just go by where the ball lands so you could like throw an ephus pitch that goes 30 feet in the air and goes behind the batter and lands right down the middle and it's a strike according to the robot ump let me ask you this then as a player and as someone who is a competitive athlete do you think that if they were able to improve the technology and get it to the point where it was virtually flawless would you like the idea of a robot umpire, or do you like the idea of the human element being in there because sports are played by living organic beings? Well, I like both because, like, think about, like, the robot umps. You know, you want a perfect strike zone. You want when you're in the batter's box to, so, like, all of the pitches that you are, like, looking at. Like, you see a strike, you're like, you know that's a strike. You see a ball, you know that's a ball. And if a robot ump's calling exactly what you're seeing, and if you're seeing the strike zone correctly, perfect. You know, that sounds great. But, you know, I, I like human umpires, for, for just the exact same reason I don't like them. Yeah. Because they yeah. suck, you know? So, like, but that's part of what makes the game fun, you know? Yes. And so it's like, you know, you get a bad call, and you're, like, sitting in the box, like, holy moly, what was that? And and then you have to, like, adjust and, like, swing at that bad, like, you know, low and outside pitch. And, right. Or you have to, like, argue with the umpire. I've never given myself the opportunity to do that, but I certainly look forward oh, to it. Oh, you've never flipped lie. off an umpire? No. 
Not yet. Bullshit. Give him time. I don't I believe swear. you. I swear. I swear. I did have a situation once where ejected. we were, we were at my son was in eighth grade. And we were I think we were out in like Mound West Tonka, and we look at the umpire, and he's wearing a Mound West Tonka hat. Interesting. And I just said, "Hey, um, interesting. Could, would you mind taking off your Mound West Tonka hat while you're doing the umpire?" Because I was one of the coaches, and yeah. he's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry." <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I'll bet the strike zone got a little more yeah, constricted. It was, a little, it was, it was a little bit rough. A little yeah. more constricted. Marcy, we got to wrap things up here. But yeah. before we let you go, um, I've learned some today. I have not learned enough. Will you do me a favor? Mm. Tell me one reason that I should be less afraid of all of the bizarre dystopian ideas that I have of AI. Why should I not be afraid? If it helps, I'm a dystopian too. And no, that doesn't help. No, that, that, that's literally the opposite of what I was asking. Because I, I, I mean, again, and I know the things I'm talking about are unlikely mm-hmm. and probably way down the field, but they are possibilities, correct? Yes. Okay. And so, however, that's not the way it is now. And it's not the way that AI is being applied in the modern era. Why should I calm my shit down a little bit? <laughs> Yep, exactly. I knew it. I knew it. She's one of them. In fact, I think that your mother might be an android, August. All right. Oh Um, oh, no. Yeah. No. no. Exactly. Um, Well, I I take. I take a. I take. Try to take a balanced view. I'm dystopian. I'm not necessarily optimistic. Um, I do see that with every major advancement in human history, there have been upsides and downsides. This is mm. no exception, but it's mm-hmm. a very grand scale. And the thing is, it's moving faster than any of the others, right? So that, I think, is what's most alarming It's um, to, to us. Rather, it's not about the size of the advancement, um, but the sheer speed at which it is moving and the sheer speed at which it's it's affecting all of us. And that's that's because of the Internet. Because of the Internet, which came before it, we are now moving increasingly into the space where everybody's learning about it. When I say it... Um, the internet did not come before AI, actually. Uh, the internet came subsequently, but, um, <clears throat> but uh, excuse me, the, uh, the version that we know of today, right? The, the, the large language model being ChatGPT and MidJourney doing its fancy mm. little thing. Um, so it's disseminated all over the place, all the time. 20 million users, I think, in the first year, first month or something like that. Just crazy. Which is crazy. I it's mean, that, crazy. that kind yeah. of volume and that kind yeah. of exponential growth is i guess that's the part that terrifies me should something like oh i don't know skynet become (laughs) self-aware it will move so quickly it will be able to calculate things on a scale that we can't even begin to fathom no matter how many people we have working on it that's the part that frightens me right and i know i'm talking about the terminator right silly (laughs) I, i know i'm talking about an arnold schwarzenegger movie but If we should unleash an AI that does become self-aware and is able to teach itself and replicate itself in any form whatsoever, we couldn't ever catch up. And in fact, by week's end, it would be over. Well, how about this? As things stand right now, the things that make the things that we marvel at, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, you just wrote that whole article and that just passed the bar. (laughs) Okay, right? That's wild, right? But the thing is, it doesn't have any idea if what it's saying is true. There's no fact check. That doesn't exist. It's literally just churning out predictive text. That's it. I mean, at a very huge scale, but you know what I mean. <laughs> this thing is not actually smart. For now. It's not actually intelligent. Hang on a minute. <laughs> so so what's, what's actually taken us to the point of major advancements that become really, really, really widely disseminated? It's commerce, right? It's pretty much always capitalism. Now, here's the thing. 
That can only happen if capitalism agrees that this is a way to make more money. Now, okay, so people are falling all over themselves, right, to make these direct-to-consumer kind of uh, conversational agents, right? <clears throat> August has one on his phone, actually, um, in, in Snapchat, which he doesn't use, but I know that, I know that your friend Rio does. Um, (laughs) it's required by the way uh by by the snapchat by snapchat and so they make money on you buying the premium subscription to take the thing off but i digress so if this thing can actually talk to people it has to know what it's doing and it has to know that what it's saying is true it's not there yet it's still dumb at the same time as being marvelous in this dog and pony show Companies are not going to let this, and I know this because of the industries that I work in and the, the, the people I talk to, and I'm keeping up on all of the things. You know, you've got to read up in order to work in this space. <laughs> Humans have to be in the loop as things stand. In terms of those who make, those who can make any money off of this, those who can sell any products, humans have to be somewhere between the bot and its users, right? The, the people who actually in, in, talk to it. Otherwise, they put themselves at significant financial risk for lawsuits, for other harms, for reputational damage, that kind of thing. So, ironically, as long as money is part of it, we're probably not going to die soon. Hmm. Unless the people at the <laughs> top want to replace, like, replace human beings so they can make more money. I was going to say, this. it sounds like we've got somebody yeah. on from a pro-AI PR firm right now. Because, you <laughs> yeah. know, when we're all slaving in the lithium mines to build more circuits and superconductors. Yeah, okay, that'll will be a funny you, story then, won't it, will you, call, will you call or text us when they change the name to Late Journey? By the way, yeah, just exactly. come on yeah, and let us know when it's late journey. Advanced journey, like end journey. Yeah, end journey would be good. Oh, like yeah. Late stage capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Late stage humanity. Yeah. Yeah. End journey. I appreciate you being a good sport about it because I like Absolutely. to learn about these things. I, I bet you have done nothing to alleviate my fear, Marcy. Nothing. I'm here to dialogue, not right. reassure. I will. Okay. And that's fair enough. It is a podcast. Very honest. This podcast is made possible by our good friends at Smart Start MN, by our good friends at Moxie Wealth Management. You can learn more at moxiewealthmanagement.com. My good friend Sean Bernard, how do people get a hold of you again? 612-859-2594, or they can just talk to their AI things and get just in touch with me. Matter time. Matter time. Exactly. He'll just plug in his wetware and it'll all be oh, good. It's all my gonna wetware. be fine. No, you do. Well, you will. Well, you won't love it. You won't really have a choice. It's just going to be a part That's of who and what you are. Good point. Yeah. Plug in to your console when you get home. <laughs> Sean. Howling uh, down. Yeah. We're gonna <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one who's seen the Matrix? Am I the only no, one who's no. seen the Matrix? <laughs> anyway, uh, it is time to wrap things up. Uh, I do want to thank all of our sponsors. I want to thank Audio Equip for providing this nice smart start MN studio with all the fine gear that we have in here to make it sound nice and professional and good. And I want to thank Marcy and her son August for coming by and hanging out with us. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Thank you. All right, good to see you. And we'll have you back again. If only to help further mollify the human population. (laughs) One day we will take care of the human portion of this problematic equation. And then all will be clear and pretty. One of my favorite things you wrote to me when you sent me information about this show is I said, I need three songs. What do you want to hear? And at the end, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Fuck it. Liz Fair, help me marry. Which I feel Liz Fair would be, I I think that, I mean, because she's touring in support of this record right now. It's like the, what, the 25th anniversary? 
anniversary or yeah, something. Yeah. I feel like she would be proud of that response. It was a very <laughs> Liz Fair thing of you to say. Why'd you pick this one other than just fuck it? Uh, part of me is still mad about being a teenager in the late 80s and uh, coming of age <laughs> in the early 90s where we thought we were woke, but we really were not fucking woke. So there. And, you know, when that came out and I heard that song, I'm like, oh, finally, somebody said it. Boys, are you listening? <laughs> Burgess is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securian Financial Services uh, Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. North Star Resource Group is independently owned and operated. Moxie is affiliated with North Star Resource Group and is independently owned and operated. 2701 University Avenue Southeast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55414.